0: Convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash gold. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course, That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. We had another weekday in the equity markets. So the fourth quarter is starting off on a particularly sour note. The Dow down 314 points today. Technically speaking, closing right near the lows down 1.2%. NASDAQ had a much worse day, down 132 points. That's one spot, 6, 7%. Russell 2000 similarly beat up 1.7%, down 25 points. The transports really took it on the chin. They were down 1.85%, 185 points down on the transports. You know, the money-losing stocks, the recent IPOs continue to get beat up. You know, the real debacle du jour, I think, was Smile Direct. That one was down another 15% today, down 2 bucks. It closed at 11.34 right off the new low of 11.20. Remember, this stock came public, I think it was less than 2 weeks ago, and it was $23 a share was the IPO price. Remember, the highest it actually traded was 21.10. Uh now we're down better than 50% from the IPO, but I really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the markets today. In fact, I only want to talk about one thing, and that's the Fed and the return to quantitative easing, because I wasn't even going to do a podcast today. You know, uh, Yom Kippur starts in a couple of hours, and so I was just going to skip it. In fact, I wasn't even going to do one tomorrow. I was probably going to wait until Thursday, but then I was watching this press conference uh, with Jerome Powell, where basically the Fed came out and said they were doing QE, except they said they weren't doing QE. In fact, you know, there's an old saying that never believes something until it's been officially denied. And Jerome Powell went out of his way today in his statement and in the Q&A that followed to emphatically say that the Fed is not doing QE. Right. I mean, this is an exact quote from Powell. This is not QE. In no sense is this QE. Right. Except in every sense, it's QE because it's exactly QE. You know, there's also an old saying, if it walks like a duck, it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It's a duck. Well, this looks like QE, it smells like QE, it quacks like QE, it walks like it. I mean, it is QE. I mean, what is the difference between QE and what the Fed is now doing? I wish somebody would really ask that question. You know, in his prepared remarks, this is what Powell said. He said, as we indicated in our March statement on balance sheet normalization, at some point, we will begin increasing our securities holdings to maintain an appropriate level of reserves. That time is now upon us. Already in March, they said that at some point, I mean, did anybody back then think some point meant now? I mean, at that point, right, uh, the Fed barely uh, wound down its quantitative tightening. In fact, it was still uh, tightening the balance sheet. I forget when it officially ended that program. It was uh, sooner than then. But of course, The Fed is lying to say that this is not QE. This again, this is what Powell said. He says this program should not be confused with the three rounds of QE, which were aggressive efforts to expand the balance sheet. Instead, this will be a more organic procedure that will follow operations similar to what the Fed conducted before the financial crisis. So, in other words, because this is not aggressive expansion of the balance sheet, then it's not QE. Except in the last three weeks, the balance sheet has grown by $176 billion. I mean, how could that not be defined as aggressive? How can Powell say that that's similar to what the Fed was doing before the financial crisis? Before the financial crisis, the Fed's balance sheet was about $800 billion. The Fed had been around for 100 years, over 100 years, or not quite at that point, because it started in 1913, but call it 100 years. So it took 100 years for the Fed to get its balance sheet to $800 billion. It took three weeks for them to do another $176 billion. That's like over 20%. I mean, this is not the same pace that the Fed was expanding its balance sheet before the crisis. In fact... Based on the last three weeks, the Fed is now expanding its balance sheet even faster than it was when it had a specific program. So basically, the only reason that what the Fed is now doing is not QE is because the Fed decided that it wasn't going to call it QE because the Fed says we don't have an official program to expand our balance sheet except that's what we're doing. We're expanding our balance sheet. And now they're saying the reason they're doing it is to maintain an adequate amount of reserves, which is really code for we want to keep interest rates low. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They need an adequate amount of reserves to artificially suppress interest rates. Well, that's exactly what quantitative easing was, that was the policy goal. It was to artificially suppress interest rates, to have an interest rate that was lower than what the rate would be without the Fed intervening, without them doing quantitative easing. Why did the Fed want to do quantitative easing? Well, they wanted to make it easier for people to borrow money. They wanted to reduce the cost of borrowing. And they wanted to inflate asset prices. They wanted stocks to be higher. They wanted real estate to be higher. And the way to do that was quantitative easing. Well, why are they doing what they're now doing and not calling quantitative easing? Well, they're trying to artificially manipulate interest rates so that they're lower than they would otherwise be. The goal is to keep the cost of servicing all this debt low. Right And to prop up asset prices, to prop up stocks and prop up real estate. So they're basically doing exactly what they did under QE for the exact reasons they did it when they were doing QE, except they're not calling it QE. And the reason they're not calling it QE is because they don't want to admit that they're having to rescue the economy again because the success of quantitative easing was predicated on the fact that it was temporary. It was predicated on the fed being able to reverse course, you know, for, for Powell to give a speech today and talk about how he, Hey, we always said we, at some point, we were going to start expanding our balance sheet again. No, they didn't. They were supposed to shrink the balance sheet all the way back down to where it was before the crisis. That's what they were saying. And they only got as low as like 3. what 7 trillion, something like that. And now we're almost back up to 4 trillion. We'll be there pretty quickly. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that we'll be above four and a half trillion, which is where they started shrinking by for the end of the year. And then by next year, we'll probably be well above 5 trillion. So what's that? I mean, if the fed failed, in its ability to shrink its balance sheet the way it said it would for years and years and years as the balance sheet was growing. And when they stopped QE and they were you know, laying the foundation for QT, if they can't do that, if the balance sheet ends up going to $5 trillion and beyond, how can they claim that this policy was a success if they couldn't reverse it? The whole rally in the dollar, the whole decline in gold, it was all predicated on people believing the Fed. Well, the Fed are a bunch of liars. I mean, obviously, they're lying now. I mean, how dumb does the Fed think everybody is? And, you know, the thing is, they may be as dumb, at least most of the people may be as dumb as the Fed thinks they are because they're buying this. I mean, nobody in the mainstream media. Is calling the Fed out on this? They're 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 accepting the fact that this is not QE. Why? Because the Fed says it's not QE. You know they're going to say whatever they need to say. You know they were lying from the beginning about how it was temporary and how they can reverse the policy. They were going to continue. Remember for a while, quantitative tightening was on autopilot. What happened to that? Right. I mean, all of this is going down exactly the way I said it would. None of this surprises me. I have said from the beginning, right, and I'm talking about the very beginning. In fact, I even said this before they launched quantitative easing because I knew what they were going to do even before they knew what they were going to call it. But when they first did this, when they did QE1, not only did I say that there was going to be more QE, right? Eventually, I said there would be more QEs than Rocky movies. Uh, but I but I said uh, that the mistake of the policy was not only that it was uh, – interfering in the free market and you know trying to create a bigger bubble when the problem was a debt bubble right we had too much debt and the solution is less debt but the Fed instead encouraged even more debt but what I said at the time is by doing this by encouraging an over leveraged economy to go even deeper into debt, They were setting up a situation where they could never reverse the policy because once they encourage the markets to take on even more debt, how can they raise interest rates? Because then the economy can't service that debt because the crisis happened in 08 because we already had too much debt that we couldn't service and we couldn't repay. But by artificially suppressing rates, they simply encouraged even more debt when the market solution was the reduction of debt. So I said once they went down this path, there was no turning back. They would have to keep doing more and more QE because if they ever stopped, right, then the bubble would start to deflate. And then we would be looking at an even bigger crisis than the one that we started with. So they were committed. They were all in. I called it a monetary roach motel. The Fed could check us in. They could never check us out. Well, the Fed kept claiming that they could. And the market kept believing what the Fed was saying. And so the Fed, you know, when they they caught rates to zero, they did quantitative easing. But as soon as they started, right, as soon as they started raising rates, soon as they started cutting the balance sheet, what did I say? They're, they're going to have to abort. There's no way that they can fulfill what they have promised the markets. They cannot deliver the rate hikes that the market expects. They cannot shrink their balance sheet to the degree that they suggest. At some point, they're going to have to stop raising rates and start cutting. And I said at some point, not only are they going to call off quantitative tightening, but they are going to resume quantitative Easing. In fact, before they even raised rates, I was so sure that the Fed could never achieve their objective that I thought the smarter thing would be never even to try. I thought if they never even raised rates, they can still pretend that they could. But if they actually tried and failed to normalize rates, then they would look even worse. And if they tried to shrink their balance sheet but failed then it would be even worse for the Fed. They would lose even more credibility, but they did it anyway. They embarked on a journey that I knew they could never complete, but for some reason, the markets thought they were going to get there. Well, now, right, what do we have? The Fed's already cut rates twice. They're cutting them again, right? We know that. Everybody knows that. They're going to keep on going back to zero. But now the Fed is back to quantitative easing. Now, they're, they're going to deny it, right? They're not going to say that. This is just normal operating procedure. But you know what? That's even scarier because if quantitative easing is now normal operating procedure, right, business as usual, we are now adopting a emergency monetary policy that supposedly was only necessary – During a financial crisis that was unprecedented since the Great Depression, we had this huge recession, and only because of that did we resort to this unconventional monetary policy. And now it's just business as usual. We're not even going to call it quantitative easing. But the reason that this policy is now standard operating procedure is because of the amount of debt that the policy itself caused. Had the Fed not done quantitative easing, any of it, had the Fed not uh, reduced interest rates to zero, we would not have uh, all of this debt. A lot of the debt that existed back in 08 would have been defaulted on, and the debt would have been expunged, and the lenders would have lost money. Governments, right, would not have been able to borrow as much money as they borrowed. So they would have had to have cut government spending because they couldn't raise taxes. So government would be smaller, we'd have less debt, and we'd have a more viable economy. We'd have more savings. Uh, We would probably be well into a real recovery by now. But because the Fed did not do that, because the Fed opted for political expediency to kick that can down the road, here we are today with an even bigger debt bubble than the one that popped in 2008. And now the Fed is desperately trying to keep the air from coming out of that bubble without admitting that that's what they're doing. So the question is, how much unofficial quantitative easing is the Fed going to do before it has to admit that that's what it's doing, right? Because at the rate the balance sheet is now growing, it's growing faster without QE than it was with QE. So, But I guess for a while, it can keep pretending that it's not doing exactly what it's doing. But again, remember, Why did they call it QE in the first place? Because they didn't want to tell the truth about what they were actually doing, which was monetizing government debt, creating money out of thin air and using that money to buy debt, government debt, other debt for the purpose of artificially suppressing interest rates that would otherwise be higher and to cause assets to be valued for something that's higher than their real market value. It's all manipulation. That was the goal of the Fed. The Fed stated that that was the goal, and that's exactly the policy goal now, except that is a mistake. You never want the Fed to artificially manipulate markets, asset prices, savings, investment, consumption. If you believe in the free market, you want the free market to set those prices. You want resources to be allocated based on supply and demand, not based on government orders. Just a bunch of guys sitting around a room picking prices. In this case, picking interest rates and deciding that they think stocks should be higher, deciding that they think bonds should be higher or real estate should be higher. Whenever Politicians do that. Whether they're bankers or elected officials, the results are always going to be the same. It is going to end in disaster. And this is no different. In fact, that is really the only difference between this unofficial QE that the Fed is doing now and the official QE. The difference is those prior rounds succeeded in that the Fed met its objectives of artificially propping up uh, the economy and the markets. This time, they're going to fail. See, last time QE was in response to a crisis. This time, QE is gonna cause the crisis because the return to QE, the return to 0% interest rates is gonna expose the Fed, right? Everybody is now gonna know what should have been obvious from the beginning, right? That this was a failure, that this is QE infinity, that the Fed can never normalize rates. We made a deal with the devil when we did QE and ZERP, and the devil is going to collect. And that is what the markets are going to figure out, right? They should have figured it out a long time ago. And remember, I keep hearing all these so-called experts on television talking about how great the economy is. The economy is in great shape. We're in a great place, right? Everything is fine. Oh, don't worry about these rate cuts. It's just an insurance policy. Oh, don't worry about these IPOs blowing up. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about the balance sheet expanding again because, you know, it's not really QE. Right, again, even though it's exactly the same as QE, the Fed is monetizing government debt, except it's even doing it at a faster rate, but it's not going to work because the dollar is going to crash. The rise in the price of gold is telling you that there is an underlying weakness in the dollar that is not yet being reflected in foreign exchange because people still don't get it. Because all these experts that are talking about what a great place the US economy is in, we were in the same place in the summer of 2008. To a man, all of these experts, From the Federal Reserve and Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, who was at the Fed at the time, to all the big banks, right, all the the experts that were out there, all the economic advisors, everybody was unanimous in their belief that the economy was sound in the middle of 2008, even though we were already in recession. The recession started in December of 2007, yet in mid-2008, everybody thought the economy was in a great place. It wasn't in a great place. It was in a recession unless you consider that a great place. But the problem was all the people who thought the economy was doing well and in a good place in 2008, before the crisis, just didn't understand that it was a disaster waiting to happen because they were confused. They confused the bubble for legitimate economic growth. So since they didn't know they were living in a bubble, A, they had no idea it popped, and B, they weren't worried because they thought everything was good. Well, all of those experts, those same people, that were so convinced that everything was fine right before we, we had a collapse, they're saying the same thing now. Everything is great. The economy is fine. And they are ignoring all of the evidence that it's not. Because believe me, by 2008, mid-2008, there was all sorts of evidence, ample evidence, that this thing was about to blow. I mean, why do you think I was able to finally make so many accurate calls on television, on Fox and CNN and CNBC in 2007 and 2008 because so much of the stuff that I had been forecasting for years was happening, right? All of these warning signs, all these bells were ringing, but, the people who didn't know there was anything to worry about didn't hear the bells. They didn't see the warning signs because they didn't understand the nature of what was going on. Well, despite what happened in 2008, they still don't understand. They still don't get what they got wrong. So they're staring at a similar situation and they're thinking the economy is fine. And they're ignoring all of the warning signs that it's not fine, just like they ignored them uh, leading up to the 08 financial crisis. The only difference, again, is this is bigger. This is a bigger bubble and there's going to be an even bigger crisis when this thing pops. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention, again, before I cut this podcast short, is that Powell was also asked about inflation in the Q&A. And Powell was emphatic in his statement that he is unhappy with the rate of inflation because it is too low, right? And he would be happier if the rate was higher. Now, it's already 2% or just over 2%. But what Bernanke said he wants is he wants the CPI to be further above 2% than it already is. This is his goal. This is what's going to make Jerome Powell happy. Powell said he will be happy if we can get higher inflation. That's what he said. Now, I don't know how many consumers will be happy if the cost of living goes up even faster than it's already rising, right? I mean, the last thing people are worried about in the real economy is that their cost of living is going up too slowly, right? That's the least of their problems. But according to Powell, that's high on the Fed's agenda. What they're really trying to achieve is an even greater increase. He keeps saying it's symmetry. He wants to see more symmetry on above 2%. And what that means is that we had all these years supposedly when the CPI was rising by less than 2%. So now we have to make up for that by having a CPI rise by more than 2% by a high enough margin so that when we go back and average everything out, we get 2%. Again, I explained this is all irrational. This is all a bunch of nonsense. But again, the Fed knows that the public or even professionals are, are a bunch of morons, and they're going to believe this nonsense. But if you go back to the original rationale for the Fed's 2% inflation, the rationale was that deflation is so bad, right? The cost of living going down would be so horrific that we need a buffer zone, right? We need to make sure that we're aiming for two so that we don't get something below zero. Because what they were worried about is, hey, if we get a half a percent inflation, we're so close to that danger zone, we don't have enough buffer. Like what if the economy turns down and, oh, my God, prices start to go down. So they said 2% was enough of a comfort level, a buffer zone, right? So if we got 2%, we're a safe distance away from zero. But when you look back at inflation over the last you know, five years or 10 years, years that were 1% or a half a percent, well, fine. We didn't We didn't go below zero. We didn't get falling prices. We don't have to make up for that now. We don't have to say, oh, because we only had 1% last year, we need 3% this year because the whole purpose of 2% was simply to create a buffer. Well, the buffer is already there. Why do we need to make the buffer bigger? Again, The Fed is just making this stuff up as it goes along because it's desperate. Remember, I always said that when the Fed went back to QE, when the Fed went back to uh, cutting rates, they would make up excuses. They would come up with reasons why they're doing it, scapegoats. They're not going to come out and tell the truth. They never tell the truth. Their job, the way they see it, is to hide the truth, to keep as many people in the dark for as long as possible. But what all this is going to do is shine a light of truth on what's been going on and instead of quantitative easing producing the results that they expect it's going to produce a crisis it's going to produce a dollar crisis ultimately a sovereign debt crisis the fed is going to completely lose control of its ability to artificially suppress interest rates and jerome powell is going to get a lot more than he bargained for when it comes to more inflation Right? I mean, if, if 3% inflation makes him happy, I wonder if 10% inflation is going to make him ecstatic. The problem is the, the public... Consumers that actually have to watch the value of their savings diminish, the value of their paychecks, their wages diminish as inflation ravages it. People who have put their trust in U.S. government bonds or other uh, long-term assets or people that have fixed annuities or insurance policies. I mean, they're going to get wiped out as a result of this inflationary depression that is going to be unleashed. Now, also on the politics of this, another thought that I had that crossed my mind is You know, Hillary Clinton is actually rising in the polls as uh, the favorites are coming under pressure. You know, now you have Elizabeth Warren has been caught lying again, uh, making up this nonsense about how she was fired from her teaching job uh, by a principal who fired her simply because he could see that she was pregnant. And so, this is, you know, how terrible it is for women. Of course, I think this guy is now dead, uh, so he can't refute uh, what. uh, what she's saying, but apparently some uh, evidence has come up, some interviews from years and years ago in which she has a completely different story to tell about the early days of her teaching and her pregnancy. But as some of these other front runners are having to deal uh, with the pressure of being a candidate and all the skeletons come out of their closets, there you have Hillary Clinton just sitting back, uh, you know, not getting any more uh, blood on her. In fact, maybe Hillary Clinton and her team are, are quietly sabotaging all these other frontrunners uh, from the sidelines, so she can jump into the fray just in time for uh, the primaries and skip all the debates, skip all the mudslinging. She doesn't need any more name recognition; everybody knows who she is. So maybe you know, maybe she'll have another shot at it. And you know, I mean, as bad a candidate as she is, and I think she's corrupt, and I think she's you know <laughs> a criminal. Uh, she might not be as bad as Sanders or Warren. But don't think that that's any consolation, right? Because the president, Hillary Clinton, she's going to be moved more to the left in order to get the nomination if she wants it. She's going to have to tack left and she will govern left. And remember, you know, she was pushing her husband to the left. She was the one that really started uh, Obamacare when it was Hillary Care, and it didn't really work out. So believe me, Hillary is going to be attacking a uh, business. She's going to be attacking corporations uh, and she's going to be ascending to the presidency if in fact she runs against the White House. Uh, But the markets, again, are still not factoring in at all the increased likelihood that Donald Trump is not going to be reelected. So all the problems, everything that's happening, the political problems, the Fed doing exactly what I said, going back to quantitative easing cutting rates, going back to zero, the IPO market blowing up, the money-losing stocks blowing up. You're seeing all this stuff, right? All these warning signs, all this stuff is happening. Stuff that I've been saying would happen for years is now happening. And just like everybody was ignoring me in 2006 and 2007 leading up to that crisis, They're ignoring me now, except I'm not even saying this stuff on television anymore because they don't invite me on. But I'm saying it to you, everybody who is listening to my podcast, heed my warnings. Don't make the mistake that people made in the past. Take this to heart and get out of U.S. stocks, get out of U.S. bonds, get out of the dollar while the getting's good, while you still have a supply of fools who don't realize how this thing is going to end. Right. They still think everything is okay, so get out and buy yourself some gold, buy yourself some gold stocks, get into the foreign stocks, get into the emerging market economies that are going to benefit from the dollar's demise. We're going to see an increase in their living standards as the living standards of Americans decrease. So talk to the brokers at Euro Pacific Capital. If you don't already have an account, set one up. If you have an account, add money to it and Call up shift gold, buy more gold. Oh, and by the way, one more plug for the new Orleans conference uh, and the money show. I'm going to be in Dallas one day for the money show on Sunday. I do my talk this coming Sunday. It is a two day event. The show starts Sunday and then finishes up on a Monday, but both of my talks are going to be on Sunday. So if you're in the area, register online for the money show and come to Dallas and then November 1st, to the 4th, I will be in New Orleans for the granddaddy, the New Orleans Investment Conference. Sign up. It should be a great conference this year. I have a lot of to talk about, I have a great speaking schedule this time. Probably one of the best schedules I've had in years. So there's going to be a lot of Peter Schiff at the New Orleans conference, and it's a great time to be there, you know, because we've broken out in the price of gold, we've broken out in gold stocks, we're breaking down in the economy, we're going to break down the, in, in the dollar. So this is going to probably going to be the most important, the most well-timed New Orleans conference in many, many years. So I hope to see you guys there. And again, happy New Year uh, to all of my uh, my Jewish listeners us.